As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the latest edition of Until Saturday. Sunday Sound Off Edition. I'm Ari Wasserman, joined by David Ubbin, and we have a special guest, Alex Kirshner from Split Zone Duo. You know, I've followed you on Twitter for years. Um, I've been meaning to get to know you, and I just, like, asked you to come on the show. I want to get to know you better. You know the thing that I like about you the most, Alex? You seem very smart. Like, you have very good takes (laughs) that, like, I regularly read on your Twitter feed, and I'm like, God, I wish my mind worked that way. So I'm excited to kind of uh mesh that into the show how are you doing tonight uh well i was doing good and now i'm now i'm a bit concerned that i might be revealing myself to be faking it until i make it now that i'm actually (laughs) on with you but i'm gonna do my best so i'm thrilled to be here thank you both for having me uh we are in the midst of some big news um the apex of the college football playoff race a scandal involving the university of michigan and uh, Alabama. Wait, what? what happened with back. Michigan? Yeah, I don't know. We're we're trying to figure it out. We're all having a oh. good time. Um, but we have a packed show tonight. I don't know if we have enough time for grab ass. Although I do find it mildly bizarre that we're ordering takeout from Cracker Barrel. But we can talk about that next week. <laughs> I think that's, that's just a, a weird thing. It's um, fine, why do we Ari. get right into the news of the day, which is uh, Texas A and M finally pulling the plug on Jimbo Fisher. They're moving on from him. They are paying Uber Uber dollars, a seventy-five million dollar plus payout, which I believe uh, is more than double the record payout of more any than college football coach. Triple. Oh my! Twenty-one point four was the record. My guy Gus Malzahn. Yeah, uh, you were not taking pictures in the arboretum today, Dave. When this happened, so uh, you got to write the column about it. Why don't we start with you? What was your what's your main takeaway here? And just kind of walk us through the angle of your column. What you think? Yeah, I think it's easy to be in the college sports bubble and just be like, "This is how things are. The sport is trending this way. These guaranteed contracts are." a real thing that are growing. I wrote a column about it last year, just saying like everybody hates these and they're going to be more and more popular because once one coach gets them, every coach wants them. And after I wrote that column, I had multiple agents call me or text me the week after. I was like, yeah, that's exactly right. I'm like, yeah, I know that's why I wrote it, yeah. but it's, it's a weird, I can't space imagine why agents in. would agree with you on that one. Well, they know what they're doing anyway. <laughs> and so you get caught up in this bubble of just like, well, this is how it has to be. And Jimbo getting fired is something that's been talked about for, you know, a year and a half. But like, 
We're still trying to run a society here. And paying somebody $77 million to not work is such a gross misallocation of resources that, like, you have to reset your brain to, like, think like a human being and not like a college football person and just be like, this is ridiculous that you're doing this. This is outrageously stupid. And yet also recognize that, like, this is also where college football is. And also look into the fact that it's not going to stop A&M. They're still going to spend money. And also, it's outrageous to me, and this is part of what I wrote about in the column as well, it's outrageous to me that everyone in the sport is hitting every panic button and sounding every siren and talking to every congressperson and freaking out about NIL and talking about how we need guardrails, we need guidance, we need rules, we need legislation. And nobody seems to ever care about, maybe it's not great for the world if we're paying coaches $70 million to not work, or we have $800 million of dead money. Um, I know it's not public funds, it's it's private funds, and it gets complicated, but you can't tell me that Jimbo, or any coach, it's not even about Jimbo, Jimbo got his money, props to him, this is not Jimbo hate, but it's a societal thing, that this is the way we should be running a society, is paying coaches 75, $77 million to not coach, to just do nothing and have no offset, it's such an insane waste of money. There's no um, way to calculate so. this, Dave, but... And I'll ask you this, Alex. If, if somebody put a gun to your head and said, hey, uh, what do you think was a bigger figure, Jimbo Fisher's buyout or the total number of dollars spent on everybody in college football's NIL contracts? Which one do you think it would be? Isn't that a crazy thing question. to think about out loud? Uh, it would be close. I, yeah, probably close. <laughs> for In one year, I think it would be very close. Very close. My guess is that it's probably upper eight figures somewhere for nationwide collective expenditures this year. It's my guess. We're in kind of a data vacuum, but my understanding is that there are upper, upper, upper tier elite playoff contending blue blood programs that are still well under 10 million this year. Uh, right. So I I think it's probably a little more for the players, but not by a significant margin. Were you pretty surprised by this or did you, were you just kind of like mentally, uh, this is going to happen and it's just A&M and this is what they do? Not surprised, because it's A&M and, and it's what they do. Uh, I think David makes a terrific point about it being useful to step back and look at college football as if you are an alien coming down to visit it. Uh, David's exactly right that it's not like A&M's booster core uh, reaches into the pocket of a school teacher in the Rio Grande Valley and takes money that would have gone to textbooks sort of to free school lunches. But it is still a societal thing, and it's a choice that people make, whether they are writing the checks to Ross Bjork so that he can go ahead and do this, uh, or whether we are uh, just kind of throwing fuel into the fire of like how much this country and how much ESPN and media networks love this sport. Uh, we all kind of did this, and mm -hmm. I think that is a bit of an indictment of us, but also not not surprising because we've been doing it, uh, and it's certainly not surprising that A&M would be the ones to triple the Gus buyout to pay, you know, five times what Bobby Petrino got when Louisville ridiculously brought him back and had to fire him again five years ago. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's not surprising that A&M did this or that we got to this point. I wrote a column last year about the concept of guaranteed contracts and forced patience that's going to come from it because universities are going to write checks for um, $100 million, 10-year guaranteed using the Mel Tucker figure. Um, and 
it might remove the willingness or the desire to fire somebody two or three years into an experiment, which then, you know, over the course of time, coaches that have, have been able to keep their job, I think have shown to improve if you give them six or seven. I think Dabo Sweeney uh, might have come close to being fired if his career started at Clemson in 2017. And then look how that happened. And funny enough, uh, Michigan State's coach and uh, now Texas A&M's coach are no longer employed. Now, obviously, Michigan State's coach happened in a wildly different circumstance, and he was fired for cause. But um, my thought process here is, is this something that only Texas A&M can do? Or is this something that can be done elsewhere? Like if Penn State gets really, really fed up with James Franklin and the way things are going there with his offense, I think Audrey Snyder told me today that this is um, – he, and he fired Mike Yurcich today. We're, I don't know if we're going to get to that, but – Offensive coordinator Mike Yurcich is out at Penn State, but can Penn State afford this? You know, because they James Franklin just got a similar contract, you know, 18 months ago. Um, if you talk about this being college sports and what we created, but do you think that this is a unique thing to AM or do you think this is where are these guaranteed contracts coming and buyouts, you know, following shortly after are going to be regular? I think that AM is ahead of just about everybody else in their ability to do this because of the character of that booster core. I don't think, I think it would be naive to assume that they are alone, but I think that some A&M specific factors brewed this one up, including the complete insanity of the contract in the first place, uh, the lack mm-hmm. of buyout language if he left, the lack of offset language, so there's now no chance that they're going to have their obligations lowered. Um, all of that is the kind of thing that A&M fans told you for years, hey, we're cool with, we're rich, we got it. Uh so I think that both in their willingness to give out the contract and pay the buyout, this is an exceptional case. Uh, but the Overton window has shifted, hasn't it, guys? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, two years ago, you wouldn't have thought that Notre Dame's head coach could get hired away by anybody short of an NFL team. Uh, you would have thought the same about Oklahoma's head coach. And those things happened. And mm-hmm. the Gus buyout was kind of incomprehensible. And that was 21 mil just a couple of years ago. Uh, so it is, I'm trying to do less of that couldn't happen because everybody seems to be expanding their appetite to do things that, that once seemed yeah. impossible. And also too, it's like I, I wrote a story at the 2017 or 18 Fiesta bowl about Brent Venables being the first million dollar coordinator. Um, and then two years later, there were like a hundred of them, you know, it's mm-hmm. like how quickly things escalate in the sport. I think we lose track of too. Um, but do you want to do a little bit of football discussion here? Because I happen to think, you know, once we get out of the, the, financial implications of this, that A&M's a really good job uh, yeah. for for a lot of people. And I think that they might be able to surprise us with whoever they hire here, Dave. There's not like I know people want to be like, why does A&M pretend that they're, you know, elite, like they've never won anything. This is true. But why they've never won anything is one of the great mysteries of the sport. Our colleague Sam Khan wrote a little bit of why that's happened. Um, there's not a clear reason, but ultimately what you need I think facilities is going down the list. Five years ago, facilities would have been on my tent pole just because it's such a recruiting thing. Um, but you need money. You need fan support. You need access to talent. And you need a coach. A&M, ha- what, what doesn't A&M have? Every time you ask, people say like, oh, A&M, they've never won anything. They can't. Well, what is A&M missing? Because like the coach thing comes and goes, but there's no clear thing other than history, which... In AM's case, I think is negated by the fact that you have money. You don't have a problem. You have a roster that is elite right now, that is top five talent roster. There's no clear reason why AM can't be. 
I think that you should be more strong with your language here. I think they have every single thing that you would need to win a national championship. Well, but you, but you bring that up. But you bring that up, Ari, and the, the most college football fans sort of roll their eyes at it. It's not about like I think they clearly do. You talk to coaches like, on the phone all the time that are, are coming up for jobs, right? And mm-hmm. there, there's this discussion of should you take a job because you want to be a head coach or should you take the right job? And if you can't quantify what that thing is that has prevented AM from getting over the mountaintop, um, that's a very weird thing to me. I have a hard time with that with Texas coming into the year of what's the reason why they have all these good players but never win anything. They've got geography. They've got money. They've already proven they can sign the best class in the history of recruiting rankings. Um, they have a bought-in fan base. They've got a huge stadium. You know, there's a lot there. I mean, all the ingredients that you would need to be successful are there. And if you take this job, depending on what happens here in the portal in the next 30 days, you're going to have a roster that could compete for a national championship in year one or year two. Alex, like, is this one of the better? I, I don't know. I kind of feel like this is a top five job in America right now. It's close if it's not. And like there. also, too, I, I we're going to be like, oh, well, they might go get Mike Elko or we're, we're, we're not thinking like, yeah, what if they go just do what USC did? What if they do what LSU did? Like that happened two years ago. What if there's a established, really good coach that just leaves a really good place to go be the head coach at a and I think that's certainly within the realm of possibility. Is this, am I overblowing how good this job is? Or do you think that the, the weirdness of not being ever able to put it together and throwing money at problems is actually a, a hindrance to their success? No, I think you're exactly right. And I think the job got better today when Jimbo Fisher got, the several yachts that he will be able yeah, to get uh, just in the next couple just of take weeks. The job and hope to get fired. Yeah, I mean, really. and I it's mean, not just. Yeah. I mean, remember Kevin Sumlin uh, got a tremendous buyout from this job too. Uh, I think people understand that there probably is a reason. It's hard to pinpoint the one reason why it has not worked out for just about anybody here. But you you do have everything that you could want yeah. on a superficial level, and if you fail, cool. That's your lake house. I think. That's, I think that's a few lake the simplest way to look at it is like this, okay? Georgia hired the right coach, and very quickly, they were an elite program. You know, they had a few years where, like, they had to actually do it and get over the Alabama hump, but, like, clearly Georgia was Played the in the national sport. title game in your Very team. quickly, yes. If A&M hired the right coach and was in the national title game in year two and won back-to-back national championships, nobody would be looking around saying, how is How this happening? Happen? Right. What in the world? They'd be like, oh, yeah, well, that kind of makes sense. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. You're not even restoring the happened. car from the car's not on blocks here. Yes. The car might not be running, but you might be able to pop the hood here and no. mess around with a few wires and get this thing to run really quick. Cars had yes. bad drivers. Yep. That's been part of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. Well, we'll talk more and more about A&M as we go into the week. Obviously, this is just the first chapter of a very long book as they continue on with um you know candidates and rumors and all the things i keep hearing urban myers in the uh, in the chat by the way i've got an urban meyer take can i say it real quick having covered <laughs> the man for I'm 10 years this now okay yeah no no it's actually going to be more rational than you think i think that every single time um a job opens urban meyer becomes like the main candidate because of how much success that he's had um in michigan state actually there was a lot of people that convinced themselves that that was going to happen can I say this? And like, I, I know the guy. I think the game has passed the man by. Like, I don't think that he yes. is going to just jump into the to whatever college coaching job he wants and be able to rule by fear. And, you know, he he coached he coached before NIL. 
He coached during a different time. Um, I just don't know that he's the candidate that people think he is, nor do I know that he wants to be. Um, so I don't know why this continues to happen, but if I were Texas A&M, I don't know. If you would have asked me five years ago, would you want to hire Urban Meyer? Like right after the Ohio state stuff, I would have been like, probably, but with everything that happened in Jacksonville and you know, all the stuff with the Columbus bar and all that stuff, I just don't know that he is a viable candidate anymore. So that said, uh, I hope, uh, you know, he would agree with that, but I just don't know where all this stuff comes from all the time. And before we move on quickly, I think if you're A&M, you want to hire a guy that in your perfect world is your coach for the next 15 to 20 years. Yeah, I think the way he's Urban a seven operates, year cycle in his prime. Yeah, he's not the way he coaches. I don't know if you, if you guys watch the Netflix documentary, you kind of got a, a better glimpse into like it's very hard to sustain these things just the way that he operates and the way that his brain works. It's tough. And, and I think you got to figure out how to do things a little differently in 2023 if you want that longevity. So the Urban Meyer concept, you know, I don't even think it's really worth digging into, but people will talk about it. And I think it's just a blanket Urban Meyer discussion about every job that comes open in the next six weeks Mm because it happens over and over and over again. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why don't we get into the voicemails because we're going to play a little bit uh, of a game at the end. If you had our played our uh, reaction show on Saturday night, you knew the Group A, uh, Group B game that we had. I asked Alex and Dave to put together their list of top seven teams in the country that they think are most equipped to win a national championship this year. We're going to get to that at the end of the show. Why don't we go to voicemail number one? Ari, this is far and away the most frustrated I have ever been listening to you talk about football. I just listened to the recap show. I'm on my way home from church, and I think I may need to go back and get rebaptized and have my faith reaffirmed because I was ready to lose my religion listening to you talk about college football. Apparently, 130 teams don't need to play football. Just Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama, and everyone else is wasting their time. And I get it, stars matter, blah, 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 blah. You're killing me, and you're pissing on everyone else who puts on a college football uniform every Saturday. And I get it, it's about the national championship. You play to win championships. And to hear what you said about Michigan and, like, how they have no shot whatsoever, to me, just boggles my mind. Georgia blew out an Ole Miss team whose defense looks a whole lot like SC defense. Now, all of a sudden, Georgia looks unstoppable and looks like the unstoppable Georgia machine from two years ago when Georgia, by your words, have been playing grab-ass for a whole lot of the season. Like, will Georgia win a national championship? Probably. 
but is it as far and away as you make it seem like everyone else is just wasting their time? And I'm sure you're going to, you know, tell me I'm out of my mind and lose your religion as well listening to me. But come on, man. Like, this season is just more wide open, and I don't think it's Georgia, Bama, and Ohio State against the world. My favorite part of that, for, I'm, I'm, I'm firm in my th- faith. Thank you very much. I'm not going to lose my religion. My favorite part of that whole call was, yeah, well, Georgia's probably going to win it all. It's like, <laughs> like, you're just repeating what I said. By the way, if you listen to the show and I enrage you and you're punching your steering wheel, I never said that Michigan doesn't have a chance. Did I say that Michigan is, you, doesn't? You kind of did, Ari. I don't know. They have a chance. Everybody has a chance. Ari, I get excited. You group B, 15% chance to is win that the zero? title this but that's not Michigan explicitly. That's the entirety of Group B. Yeah, Group B has a 15% chance. If you are not aware of the Group A, Group B discussion, let me break it down for you quickly. There are three teams in Group A, Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State. These are the three teams that are still alive in the college football playoff race that recruit and have 20-plus um, five-star prospects on their roster. Everybody else is Group B. The field is the field. I asked David two weeks ago after the Georgia-Florida game if he would uh, take Group A or Group B to win the national championship this year, and he took, I think, Group B reluctantly. Um, no, I said coin group flip. A, I said coin, coin flip. flip. Okay, we got 50-50, and now we're at 75-25 with you uh, on 70 Group to 75, A. Yeah, Let me ask like you that, that. question uh, before we react to the, to the caller there, Alex. If you had to... Pick your national champion this year. Uh, which group would you go to, and what is your percentage of uh, likelihood that you might be wrong? Because <laughs> I, I uh, feel like you're kind of bubbling right now. Are you bubbling? I'm I'm bubbling a little bit. I think it's a it's a good lens through which to look at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the mega mega elites A are still sixty five, seventy, even eighty percent likely to win the national championship this year. I feel a bit clash traitorous to put it that way, because I, you know, we do at SCD try to fancy ourselves connoisseurs of the group of five and of the middle Mm -hmm. tier of the power five. And yeah, it'd be awesome if Washington could do this. Um, I think my, my point of order question is where exactly does Oregon fall uh, here? Yeah. Probably not quite an A, probably more of a B. There are a Uh, few fringe teams uh, that would be close to group A based on the recruiting results. And that's Texas and Oregon that, but there is a level of recruiting that I'm, Sure, yeah, you're I'm obviously aware of that. Yeah, that just, yeah, that is just. Yeah, I mean, out I, look, there. I, I think the yeah. chances of it being Georgia or Alabama or Ohio State or Michigan are uh, are pretty great. I think no, those Michigan's Group are, B. Michigan's Group B. Excuse me, Michigan's Group yeah, B. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's the main eh, point yeah, of contention no, so, of the phone not, call. So it's just Georgia, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. Give me Group A probably, but maybe 60 percent <laughs> chance instead of seventy five or eighty percent. Here's the thing, Ari. Are, are we in the trust tree, Ari? Are we in the trust, in the tree? trust tree, bud? Uh, Ari, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some harsh truths right now. Okay, all right, let's do. Are this. you ready for this? Are you gonna Are you gonna pile on the call? A little bit, a little bit. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I'm here. I'm an adult. This is what Ari, we I we think, promote. This we want we these calls. Yeah. All right. I think in general, you do not appreciate enough the. I know that your favorite thing about college football is watching the behemoths fight. You're basically like. You know, you want to watch like the kaiju's fight. I know this is Pacific Rim is your favorite movie, but you just want to see the kaiju's fight in the ocean, right? I don't but know like, what that means. Is that sci-fi? Yeah, Ari, they'll get. I have it. never the, seen the, that movie. The, the viewers will get it. But anyway, I think I think Ari, you could stand to appreciate more of the absurdist element of the sport and the the things that that teams and programs use 
to improve their lot in life when they can't become the greats. And I think you're too quick to dismiss the people who can't be those teams and not give them your attention and not give them your appreciation almost. And I think that is, I think that that is to your own detriment of your own enjoyment of the sport. I care kind of who wins the national championship. I don't care that much, but I feel like sometimes the way you talk about the sport are, it makes people think that if they can't win the national championship, that you don't even think that they're worth your time or effort in watching them. And I think that rubs people the wrong way. Well, if that's the case, then I need to, I need to, cause that's not true. I don't feel that way. Yeah. Um, but the thing, the thing that I think is interesting is, and, and what bu- makes me bubble up inside is that there is a lot of energy expounded on and spent on the college football playoff race, who can win the national championship, who the dark horses are in order to do it. And I am physically incapable of blowing smoke up people's asses and pretending that there are teams that can do it when it's literally never happened before. Now, obviously, this year is a little bit different. You have teams like Florida State who have five first-day or second-day picks on their team that aren't really represented in the 247 sport composite um, because Jared Verse might be a top-five pick this year and knows a two-star athlete. Like I understand that as – the portal continues to develop and become more mainstream that the numbers on the 247 sport composite are going to become watered down. But the thing that irks me more than anything, and you just did it again, is that all I hear from people all the time is Ari, all you ever think about or talk about is the national championship or all you ever talk about is Ohio state, Georgia and Alabama as the champions this year. Uh, You don't appreciate the other things in, in, in the sport. Like, you know, upgrading your team or getting better or building something. And it's like, why do you always say that in the midst of the national championship discussion? It's not the only thing we talk about on this show. We talk about program building all the time. We talk about teams that are taking the right step. If you read columns that I've written, I've written over and over and over again that I believe that Oregon under Dan Lanning, a person that has a first front row seat um, to building a roster that it takes to win a national championship could do it at Oregon. If he gets things rolling, that doesn't mean I've got to pretend right now that they can do it. And I, I think that there needs to be a, in the future. And I don't know if this is like a mandate or not, but if you call in and leave a voicemail, I'd be very curious to know who your favorite team is, because I think that sends a lot about you, the it's, lens in which you, you view the sport because you know who doesn't get upset about it. You know, teams that actually can win the national championship. And I understand that Michigan fans are irked by this notion. But when your recruiting classes are finishing 12, 13, 10, 9, and you're going up a team that has 1, 1, 1, 2, and, and 3, it's really, really hard to win, and it does not happen. So when I talk about it, I feel like I'm trying to be honest with people, whereas there's a lot of other fodder out there of like, well, Washington could win the national championship this year. It's like, do you watch football? Like, do you really think that they were able to beat Georgia and Alabama and back-to-back? Like, I, I don't know what people want from me. Do you want me to pretend? I can pretend. Is that what? Because like, like that's the thing in like in in media coverage at all. Everybody only wants to read what they agree with already. So we, do you want me to just agree with you and say that Michigan has a forty five percent chance of winning it this year? When I watched them yeah, in a Big Ten slog fest twenty four hours ago, forty five. No, I don't know. Forty five is high, but but I do like, see. Listen, when we get yeah. to the end, your Alex, your list is very different from mine and David's. And you have Michigan yeah. hired. I'm very excited to hear your thought process. And if that thought process is well, the sport is a little bit more wide open than it's been in the past, and I'm, I'm certainly you know here for that. Um, I made no, the it's mistake. Not, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not okay. No, well, good. no. I have, I have a different thought. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. See, that's what I told you. People are smart, but like, I don't know, man. You, you, you jump in here. I, I cut you off, Alex. Go ahead. 
No, I, I think that Michigan's, I don't want to jump your show out of order, but I think that Michigan this year has, has a decent opportunity to do this thing because I think that their biggest weakness, which I think might be their tackles on, on the offensive line, uh, may bite them a little bit less given the strengths of the other playoff contenders this year. I think it somewhat mm-hmm. depends on matchups, but I'm, I'm really talking probably foremost about Georgia. I mean, Georgia's great. I saw them in person a couple of weeks ago. I had a great time in Athens. Great team, great program. You get the whole deal, uh, but they don't have the absolute mm-hmm. terrors off the edge that they have had in the last couple of years, especially if Dumas Johnson is not completely healthy. Um, mm-hmm. I I think that it's possible that Michigan, the one area where they are more average, doesn't get exploited in the way that they might in most years. Um, now, that could be different. You know, Byron Murphy, Dallas Turner, Jared Verse, Verse there, are good, yeah. there are good edge rushers that they might see on their journey. But I think that particularly with the big bad that they couldn't solve with Georgia a couple of years ago, I think they might match up better this year than they have in the the recent past. Chop Robinson's better than any of the edge rushers on Georgia. Yeah, Chop, I think he is. And and they handle him okay. I mean, you know, Chop Robinson. For a minute there, it looked like he was going to muck that game up a little bit more than he ended up doing. And then he didn't. And then they game planned around it. It was nicely done. Yeah. Yeah. So I think my advice to you, uh, listener, uh, and if you agree with the call, thank you so much for for doing it. I appreciate hearing your perspective is that if you are a person that thinks that this sport is bigger and greater and more beautiful than just the national championship race, then enjoy those things that aren't the national championship race. We don't have to pollute the actual realistic discussion of the national championship race with Disney movies um, because we want to make everybody feel better. Now there's other you know people that might be more inclined to do that. Um, I think a large portion of our staff at the athletic picked TCU to win the national championship game, which if you did that and you're on the staff, I, I don't know what, what you're watching. Um, but I'm just not that person. That's not my personality. So, you know, at, at the end of the road here, if Florida state wins the national title or if Washington figures out how to get a stop or, or whatever, um, and they end up winning it all, then we'll have a show and we'll talk about the great thing that happened. But going into it, if you want to know my perspective on it, I'm probably just going to go with the team that has 900 draft picks on it over the teams that don't like, it's not, Ari, I, I think I it's have not hard. I think I have the bet. I have to have the bet. Okay. Here's the bet. Mm-hmm. Are you prepared for this? Is it financial? Are you sitting down? No, it's not financial. Okay. If a team from Group B wins the national championship this year, mm-hmm. you and I will sit down and we will watch the cinematic classic Little Giants and we will stream your reaction to that film. <laughs> Yeah, Have you I, seen I, I will, I'll watch. Yeah, Little Giants I've seen. I just don't like Star Wars <laughs> and lightsabers and sci-fi. Are you a big sci-fi guy, Ari, Alex? be honest. Did you throw Not your huge. remote at the wall? Yeah. Would you throw your remote at the wall when Spike lost? <laughs> yeah, yeah, back in the day, like as I was developing into a college football reporter, I was disgusted <laughs> by the notion that the underdog won. I hate the underdog. You don't think that I would? Like, that, that's the thing that really irks me, too, is like you, people don't think I would enjoy it if – Oregon won the national title this year, or if Washington did, it'd be awesome. If you, you think we like writing about the same three teams and talking about them all the time, everybody likes parody. I think sometimes I, I you know. come off like you do, though, Ari. That's the thing that I know you don't intend to, um, but because you know, people spike, people spike like poster on dismiss your wall aside, the notion. I think that's what it is. People dismiss what I'm talking about, and it bothers me. And I feel like I have to be look at the Georgia game against TCU all the time to show people like. It's that the fairy tale doesn't exist 
the way that you think it did. And if it did, then Iowa State or somebody like that would have won a national championship at some point in the last, I don't know, 50 years. It just doesn't well, happen. So, And the, right, and the rosters have, now are more lopsided than they've ever been before. Would you have liked to have seen Oklahoma State in Alabama or Oklahoma State and LSU play in 2011? Sure. Because I actually do think Oklahoma State would have won that game. Yeah, that's your that's your big thing. Um, it's not my big thing, but I'm just I saying that team would have matched up very here's well. Here's what I said to Chris Vanini on the car ride home from TCU last night. I don't want to live in a world where a team that I believe is viable enough to win a national championship or earned the, the ability to participate is left out. Is that a fair way of putting it? I like that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Hopefully it gets a little bit easier from here. Let's, let's go to the next one. My name is Terry Horseman. I am a Minneapolis-based Oregon State fan. Uh, there aren't a lot of us, but there are more than one. I can assure you of that. And uh, tonight should be a pretty happy night for me. I just spent the last few hours watching Oregon State tear Stanford apart. Um, but during the game, ESPN College Game Day announces that in Instead of going to Corvallis, Oregon next week, a.k.a. the Paris of the Pacific Northwest, uh, it's going to Harrisonburg for the James Madison game. And just at the end of a, towards the end of a season like this, that is a tough pill to swallow for Beaver fans. Uh, Fox Noon, big, big Noon kickoff isn't going there either. And we know why. Uh, we know why these networks won't face uh, the good people of Corvallis, Oregon, a.k.a. the Paris of the Pacific Northwest, uh, because they're trying to erase our program like a Catholic cathedral in the frickin' Handmaid's Tale. But I respect your program more than ESPN and Fox respects Oregon State's football program. And I'm trying really hard not to be furious about it and let it get in the way of this win. Uh, but with all the realignment nonsense and uh, going on this season, and ESPN or Fox, not having the stones uh, to come to a Corvallis for a top 10 Beavs team versus a top five Huskies team, which will clearly be the biggest matchup in college football next week, is just too much for me to handle. Go Beavs. Keep up the good work, y'all. Thank you so much. See ya. I got a question. Take. What is it, Ari? I think I'm going to just tell it. I think Oregon State's going to win the football game. I'll shut up. We got to go faster, but I think Oregon State's Maybe. going to win. I, when I first heard this, I was kind of like, ah, I don't know about the tinfoil hat. But the more I thought about it, I think he's, I think he, I think he might be right. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask the two of you guys. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's the best you, game of the week. Yeah, but I'll ask the two of you guys legitimately. If you think that in the Fox decision making room, or the ESPN decision-making room, what percent chance there was that there was serious discussion and it was a factor in not going there when they thought every sign and every person is going to be talking about how much we have ruined the sport? What percent chance yeah. was that conversation had? Uh, I, th I have a thought that I think for Fox, almost zero. Uh, I think what Fox is doing here is very straightforward. Uh, they're going yes. to my alma mater, the University of Maryland. Obviously, that's not to watch Maryland lose by 50 points, which is what's going to happen, and I don't think anyone really disputes that. It's that Fox is going to milk the Jim Harbaugh thing for as much as they possibly can, and it's probably going to work. Uh, is it cynical? Absolutely. 
but I bet that's what's happening. Uh, either he's suspended again, and the hearing, I think, is the day before. I think it's a Friday, Friday. hearing um, on Michigan's restraining order. to see if he gets off the plane anyway, no matter yeah. what. Like he's, um, so yeah. So Fox is going to milk that, and I think that was what they saw the opportunity, opportunity to do uh, with Big Noon. Uh, I do think that ESPN is quite sensitive to the idea that they ha- that they are bullies who bear some responsibility for what's happened to Washington State and Oregon State. I think they're I don't think that they like that. I think that they think it's unfair and I disagree with them. I think ESPN mm-hmm. I think ESPN's point would be that the 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 network that really pulled the ripcord on the Pac-12 was Fox um yeah. when it grabbed when the Big 10 grabbed the four top brands in that league. Uh, but Fox, in a way, was responding to ESPN with Oklahoma and Texas. I think I think everyone's culpable, and I yeah. do not think that ESPN would especially enjoy the subtext that would be all around that program. It, uh, but also, I mean, James Madison's a pretty good place to go next week, so that's probably yes. part of the deal, too. I, I don't think that it would be aggression towards ESPN, even. I think it's just aggression towards television networks. Like, if you're the – I think um, – But ESPN is a television network, though, Ari. That's the thing. <laughs> no, no, that's what I'm saying. But I'm saying, like, it would have – no matter who went, I'm sure that that would be – Part of it. And I think that I would give game day some credit because they do seem to want to go to new places and do new things, you know? Um, and I think it's a shame because I think Oregon state has played well enough this year in order to, to deserve that because I think having and hosting game day, uh, Aaron Pennington here in the chats asking, why do people care where the pregame shows go? I think it's because it's a badge of honor. It's, it's a recognition of your program that they have played well enough this year in order to garner the attention of the sport that day. Um, and maybe that's just overly simplistic, but I think Oregon State has earned that this year. So um, well, it is kind of annoying. Aaron, and also, too, has playoff people, implications. She's an Ohio State fan, if I recall. I think is I she? you're wrong about that. But like Ohio State, Bama, Georgia, these places that don't care about game day, don't care about game day. Everyone else, it's a big deal. It's a very big deal when they come to your campus. And Ohio State is on the list of half dozen schools or so that like your game day is coming and sort of shrug most and places like, you have do done not it shrug. so many times it's not really yes. special anymore yeah yes um yeah i mean i think that's a fair balanced question um and comment I, what i do know is is that dave and i are going to spend a lot of time breaking this down on thursday and i think we're going to spend a lot of time with the results of it on saturday so mm-hmm. um, i think that we probably could have spent a little bit more time on oregon state on saturday night uh, it was a pretty busy day but no, I think one of the things that Split Zone Duo does very well is that and we could probably take a page out of the playbook is, is that you guys highlight everybody that needs to be highlighted all the time, you know, and it's a good thing to do because people, much like the spirit of the college game day discussion we just had, also want recognition on podcasts that cover the entire sport. And even if it's a fleeting moment to acknowledge what a program did in and appreciate the success that they had, I think goes a long way with the people who root for those schools. And I think... You know, I've been criticized for that in the past, and maybe that's a, a fair criticism. So um, anyway, thanks for the call. And, and if you're a big Oregon State fan, we're going to take care of you this week. Let's go to the next voicemail. Hey, guys. This is Louie from South Carolina. Calling in a little hungover this morning. Celebrated that good Michigan one yesterday. Just really pisses me off about the narrative around J.J. McCarthy. Those kids went out and won versus a top-ten team on the road. That's hard to do. The narrative is, well, if J.J. was that guy, well, why didn't they throw the ball more? Like, like, 
Like, what are we talking about here? Like, did you watch the first quarter? We could not block Chop Robinson. Like, it wasn't going to happen. Coaches in crisis will revert back to who they are. And Sharon Moore and Harbaugh, they want to run the ball. And so I know you guys saying that you're not shitting on J.J. McCarthy, but it kind of feels like you guys are. Michigan's offense is not built to go out there and score 50, 60 points a game. Like, we don't have elite wide receivers. Again, our offensive philosophy in crisis is to line up and run the ball and be physical. And that's not J.J.'s fault. Like, he's executing a game plan. And end of rant. Um, love the show. Love what you guys do. And, David, your, your hypothetical punishment for Michigan that they should have to tell the opposing team whether they're going to run or pass, they did on Saturday. And I feel like Manny Diaz got that work. Oh, that was a pretty good that's way good. to end that. That's that a good mic drop. Yeah. You know what I was thinking the whole time? I said, I thank you for the question, but thanks for also illustrating why I think you can't win the national title for the last two minutes of it. Like that to me is the whole thing, right? I mean, I don't know. I, I wish that there was a middle ground between um, J.J. McCarthy is not a Heisman Trophy winner and not one of the three best quarterbacks in the sport, in my opinion, and shitting on him. Like where do like where do you draw that line? Can you just say he's a very good quarterback, but in his career at Michigan, he hasn't been put in a position where he had to make a play to lift his team up without the receivers that they have and win? And I guess you could make a case that he did that to a certain extent in the Ohio State game last year, but I can't recall a single moment or a single drive um, in his entire career with the game on the line where he he was the sole reason why that team, at least through the air, won that game, or if they've even needed him to. Yeah. So, like, I'm not saying he can't do it. We just haven't seen it yet. So um, can I just say he's a really good player? He has my respect, and Michigan is probably going to win the Big Ten this year and, and yeah. make the playoff, but I don't think he should win the Heisman, and I don't think that they can beat Georgia. Like, isn't there a middle ground there? I think we just noticed that the J.J. McCarthy conversation is out of control. When you're talking about a guy who's like the third highest betting favorite for the for the the uh, Heisman, it's like I got annoyed at the people who voted for Stetson last year, who was the fourth best player on his own team. But at least Stetson made a ton of plays and had a very acute impact. Stetson on made a lot more plays than JJ has so far oh, in his yeah. career. Oh yeah, oh like, yeah, and the people but, forget about that. Yeah, yes. But Alex, where where do you, two questions, two part question. One, what have you made of the JJ McCarthy conversation? And how did Saturday's game affect how you viewed him? I I feel like I've been in a holding pattern with this guy for two years. And right. I think a lot of people have. And that's not the same as passing negative judgment on him. Uh, he's really had one look all season where he's had to do this whole third and long magician thing that he does against a team with serious edge rushers. And we saw that yesterday. And uh, it didn't go amazingly for the reasons that Louis, our very wise caller, articulated. Uh, it is hard when you are running from your life and when Chop Robinson is chasing you. So I think that... Uh, and he's here right now listening, so don't don't make him angry. I won't. I would never, <laughs> Louis. I would never do it. Uh, I think that Michigan fans, by the same token, uh, might want what Jim Harbaugh says about J.J. McCarthy to be true for good reasons. I mean, Harbaugh is very yeah. invested in this idea that J.J. is going to be the best quarterback in the history of the University of Michigan uh, and that he is the guy, capital T, capital G. And I can't say he isn't. Uh, he wasn't yesterday. Penn, uh, Michigan's playing a three, four game season this year. You know, you've got the Penn State game. You've got the Ohio State game. You've got the Big Ten Championship. And you got maybe two playoff games. So 
uh, he's one game into what maximally is a five game season for us to evaluate how serious he is against light competition. I don't have a conclusion based off that. Uh, and that's also not the same as, as talking down on Michigan schedule. I mean, it is, it was a bunch of non entities that they played until yesterday. It's just the way it fell. And so I've, I've had a hard time reaching conclusions about him. I think you can reach easier conclusions about, yeah, Chris Jenkins is really good. Yeah. Blake Corum is really good. That stuff's simple. I'm confident saying that. Yeah. All right. So uh, Alex hates JJ McCarthy. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, I noted. Was. yeah. <laughs> but I, th- I think Nick Baumgartner, and I don't know if I'm making this up or whatever, but he has been really, he used to cover Michigan. He's a draft analyst for us now at the athletic. And I think that somebody told me he said QB one or QB two in the draft. And I'm just like, there's some first round buzz around McCarthy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know about this of, coming, but like, yeah, a lot of people think buzz. that this coming, this, I mean, he is, I'm 99% sure in the first round of Dane Brugler's latest mock draft. So like people are like, I don't, I just don't know what, and they know more about it than I do. Maybe they're analyzing footwork and arm angle and things that are over my head, but I don't know that I've seen. It's like, are we going to discuss whether he's better than Drake may? Is that like the level of psychosis we have to go through here? Or can we just say, Hey, you got a chance to prove us wrong, but we haven't seen it yet. I think that's fair. I think it's completely fair. Yeah. Next question. Kind of flew under the radar because of the whole Michigan sign stealing thing. But the NCAA announced on Wednesday that any athlete that bets on sports uh, involving a team at their school, not their own team, but a team at their school, uh, that athlete's caught, they will face a one-year suspension. Uh, this really is only affecting uh, athletes in Iowa, so Iowa, Iowa State, because that's the only state that's been investigated so far. However, it seems crazy to me that Michigan is caught up in this whole sign-stealing scandal. The coaching staff of Michigan are supposed to be, you know, professionals, and they're getting paid, and they're probably going to be punished less than students at Iowa and Iowa State, um, which is crazy to me. You tell me what uh, affects the integrity of the game more, illegal sign-stealing or betting on a women's basketball game or a football game. Or a basketball game that athletes weren't even involved in. Well, um, I think that gambling poses a much more severe threat to the integrity of sports than sign stealing. But I would also like to point out that I think the athletes at Iowa and Iowa State have gotten, a, in large part, a pretty raw deal here by the fact that there is one state investigatory agency in the country that has decided to do this and that it seems to have focused on these two athletic departments. I'm sure that they're not the only ones who have done this. I think that some of the Punishments for athletes who did not bet on their own team's games are a bit draconian. Uh, but I think gambling is gambling has a, a, to me, just a much more acute threat to sporting integrity than sign stealing does. Uh, I personally I, think, yeah. think gambling is just bad. Nobody should do it. Like it's just, yeah, not I'm, not a, I'm not a Puritan to, about it, but I, I do think, way, yeah, <laughs> I, two, two by the things. way, we get one, out of here. The jets start here in about like five minutes. Yeah. So like, <laughs> two things. One, I act, Charlie Baker actually said something that I think was actually a good point recently is that he <coughs> said that he worries a lot more about player prop bets and that the, they should raise the possibility of banning prop bets in college. That actually makes some sense. And I think that you can't ban college students from betting but there is so much interaction on campus between athletes. I think they want to remove the not ability, but like the the payoff for like oh hey, you know, I play football, but I was in the dining hall 
and like I heard some stuff or somebody told yep. me or athletes saying, hey, you know, what if we kept a really tight circle and like, you know, you did this or you didn't do this or, you know, uh, and we could all make some money and share the profits. I think you just want to not have that be something that can happen. I actually and, think that the NCAA and the rules that are in place right now are um, harsh, but rightfully so. And I also think, too, that when you kind of scoff at the notion that a player bet on a women's basketball game, um, yeah, that doesn't directly impact Iowa State football or anybody that's involved with any football program betting on a, on a women's basketball game, but it opens up the app. You know what I mean? I think that when you are in the app and you're betting on anything, then, you know, I, not that I would know from experience, but once you, you start with the $5 bets and the $10 bets, it, it kind of grows a little bit and your temptations and things of that nature um, tend to grow. So I think that making it a bad stigma for you to gamble while you're a college athlete or even a professional athlete, I think is a good thing because you know what? There are consequences and rules that you have to follow when you are engaged in something. And when you're a college athlete, you know, you you would think that for me, I would be like, ah, this gambling stuff is stupid. But like, I think it's very serious because nothing um, hurts the integrity of the game and people having a fix in or the notion that this could have an impact on how somebody performs. So, you know, for four years while you're in college, if you can't bet on a women's college basketball game, then I find that to be a pretty small toll for the great life that you get to live of being a college athlete and having your education paid for and all the NIL money and being on a football team. And then when you're an adult and you're no longer affiliated with the team, then go and do it. Like, I don't think it's that big of a thing. The thing that I think is interesting and I mean, there's no way, there's no recourse for this. But if Michigan had a very unfair advantage in certain games, the gambling impacts that that had on on spreads and, and games that people were betting on, um, you know, might have been impacted by that. You know, but that isn't a there seems inside to be a lot of disagreement about that. But a lot of well, I mean, like what? I mean, I think not that I would know from experience, but one or two plays in every single game can impact whether a team covers or doesn't. Um, and if you have the signs of a team and you're in the right place at the right time in a critical third down, then they might not cover a spread because of it. It is certainly within the realm of possibility that people have lost bets betting against or on Michigan in the past as a result of this. But that has nothing to do with the question. I just I, I just thought I would say that. So, um, OK, we're about 15 minutes out. So let's just get through the next question and then we'll get into the, the last debate here. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is Derek in Indiana. I have a fill in the blank for you guys from history. Give me blank. Or give me death. I just want to hear you guys say the word liberty on air sometimes since they're 10 and 0 on their way to being 13 and 0. Caden Salter is a revelation at quarterback and they're getting no respect. In fact, David, earlier in the week you mentioned how the 12 team playoff would be great because undefeated teams like UCF should make their way into the playoff. The committee's going to put a 12 and 1 Tulane into the New Year's Six ahead of a 13 and 0 Liberty. So it's a team getting absolutely no respect. And we'll even be left off of a 12-team playoff. So can we show a little love for the Liberty Flame? Well, I mean, Liberty is good. They're very fun to watch. I think Jamie Chadwell is one of the brightest offensive minds in the country right now, doing some of the more revolutionary offensive things. But that is also true, and Liberty hadn't played anybody. It is what it is. If Liberty went to Ole Miss... They would lose. <laughs> they yeah. would lose at Ole Miss, and they probably wouldn't rack up a two-touchdown lead in the middle of it. Um, so, 
I am sensitive to the point, but if you want to be taken seriously, I get frustrated with the G5 teams that clearly have earned an opportunity and clearly have beaten some good teams. Just have no shot. And they don't get an opportunity. Did you just say that if Liberty played somebody, they would lose by two scores, hypothetically? No, I said said if they played Ole Miss on the road, they would lose. Period. They you probably did that? I, see, I see the two-lane analog. Yeah. Do you see how my brain would be working? Because I don't Do consider see Liberty inc- on the same plane as TCU 2010, UCF 2017, uh, Cincinnati 2021, whatever. You get year. offended when I say I don't think that UCF belonged on the same plane four years ago. Because I think UCF did belong on that plane, Ari. They well, what did you deserve think a shot. is irrelevant. You can't, you can't pretend that that is crazy on one hand and then say that now. Yes, what, what Ari, you think Liberty is your opinion. You can't apply Liberty the logic. Liberty has not played anyone. That, Ari, I, don't, you, I don't know how you're You make me to want this. to like run crazy. into oncoming traffic sometimes. This is crazy, Ari. Don't do that. No. Don't do that. Yeah, you got mad at me, Alex, because I, I said I'm not really sympathetic to the expansion debate if your prime example is UCF being left out, and I got to hear this from him now? It's a complete because and utter... Because I don't view this Liberty incons- team as the same as these teams that proved it Against really, really good teams. And I do not sure. consider UCF to be the same exact, on the same level playing field as the teams that got to play in the playoff that year. How's Look, that different? They didn't, get, they didn't even get a chance, sorry. Neither is Liberty. Yeah. We could talk about Liberty. Okay, uh, you go ahead. I just, I, just I, think, I feel like you're messing with me here. Uh, Liberty may go 13-0. I think they probably will. Uh, I think that right at, we are right about the point where Liberty probably should be appearing objectively speaking, in the top 25. Uh, I do not think that there is any outcome on the table where a 13-0 Liberty would be a better team to throw into the New Year's Six Bowl game than a one-loss, probably even a two-loss American Athletic Champion or a Sunbelt Champion or maybe even a Mountain West Champion. Liberty, and and we have to talk about all of Liberty when we talk about Liberty because these things are related. Uh, Liberty is going to be of the view that it's being persecuted that they're being penalized for being the loud and proud evangelical university. And in a way, they are being penalized for that because they're in Conference USA. Why is Liberty in Conference USA? The Island of Misfit Toy Conference that came together in the rubble of conference realignment, playing with schools that are invested in football at a level much lower than Liberty. They are there because they're Liberty. And because of their institutional priorities and the way that the leadership of that university has comported itself for many generations, uh, well, two generations, uh, but especially in the last few years in ways that have been very high profile, including during the presidency of Donald Trump. Liberty has a reputation as an institution. That's why they have not been invited to be in a conference like the Sun Belt. It's just what it is. Uh, They would have a better strength of schedule and play more teams if they did not represent Liberty, but they do. And you make the bed you sleep in. And that's why Liberty is going to go 13-0 and and not get the respect that they think they deserve. Uh, I'm not persuaded by transitive margins of victory over Old Dominion, which was the case yeah. that Jamie Chabot was making at the podium after the game the other day. Uh, I missed that. <laughs> Liberty is absolutely right that there are lots of us in the media, myself included, who absolutely have a strong negative bias, bias against Liberty. Uh, do not have to sit here and deny it for my part. Won't ask anybody else about it. But – the, the fact is the fact uh, that bias has affected who they can play and the kind of resume they can build. And so that's where they are. I would say it's I've, I've got no notes. Do you have any notes? No, I mean, it is here. what it is. I think at the end of the day, 
if you're going to be one of these undefeated G5 teams, and for a lot of the reasons that Alex highlighted, you have to have that highlight P5 game against the top 10, top 15 opponent. And if you beat them, people look at you differently. The Cincinnati conversation changed when they beat Notre Dame. You didn't hear a lot of people saying, oh, these guys are a joke. Oh, these guys. You didn't hear it. I mean, there were still some people like Ari out there saying that. But there's not. But no, there's no. Not. I thought that Cincinnati belonged in the playoff. <laughs> I know. But I'm just saying. Yeah. There was still a lot of. There was still a lot. But but the, but for most of the like reasonable people, when you go do that, it changes the conversation on your team. Liberty did not get that opportunity this year. They have played some some games in the past against some high level um, P5 opponents. Well, high level. They've played some P5 opponents. Um, quite Auburn. Results. Yeah. Quite yeah. Ole Miss. Yeah. With, with mixed results. Um, and they didn't this year. And that is what it is. Like, you got to find a way to get people to play you. And like Alex said, Liberty has put up some hurdles in people wanting to play them. So that's that. All right, guys, let's sink our teeth into uh, one quick topic because I kind of gl- I blew over it a little bit. I just want to make sure that, you know, people heard. Uh, Penn State uh, moved on from offensive coordinator uh, Mike Yurcich. They were 15th in scoring offense, 102 yards per play. By the way. Wasn't that the craziest stat ever? Alex, Penn State came into the weekend ranked number eighth in scoring offense in the country. So they did a really good job of of juicing the numbers against overmatched opponents, um, against good teams they couldn't score. Uh, Last in FBS with 3.4% of plays going plus 20 yards. So uh, I don't know, that's that's coordinator six that that Yursich has, uh, or that Franklin has gone through. I think at a certain point, you've got to look in the mirror. I don't know if you guys have any final thoughts on that before we go into the to the last debate here. Yeah, uh, I think that at some point when you continue to roll over coordinators in the way that he has, it sort of becomes a you thing. I don't think that when Mike Yursich got to Penn State from Oklahoma State, uh, and I think he'd also been at Texas. I I, I don't want to misorder the Ohio stops State in this year. Yeah. Ohio State. Yeah, he's done a number. He's been a number of stops. Um, Maybe not. To, anyway, assistant assistant resume pinball, always fun to play. Point is, I don't think that he had a reputation when he left the stops that he had been at that he was not suitably innovative and that he didn't understand offense or that he was vanilla or that he couldn't develop quarterbacks. I mean, Oklahoma State, how many decent quarterbacks have they gotten really solid results out of and made those guys millions of dollars in the NFL? Uh, so when you get to Penn State and this happens, you wonder if you're if you're under the the direction the influence of a head coach who wants you to be a certain way sounds like Garrett and that Riley head coach Clemson. has a, a god yeah. contract so that'll be interesting you know um an interesting discourse with james franklin i wrote a column after they lost to ohio state that i don't know if this is james franklin's fault or if we are expecting too much out of them like i think that's an interesting discussion of like should penn state be viewed the way that they are viewed in the big 10 should we view them as a team that should be winning one out of every three games against Ohio State or one out of every three against Michigan. Should they be winning the Big Ten once every four or five years? Or is, I mean, Josh Pate says this all the time. I see his clips of like, he is properly rated because he wins the games he's supposed to and loses the to better teams. And if that's who Penn State is, then that's who they are. But if they want to be more, that's when the discussion gets a little bit wonky. So, Well, beating um, those teams is one thing. Scoring a touchdown in the first 57 minutes of those games is another. Yeah. So, you know, I, but if you lose to a better team, it's like, he could have just came out and said, Hey, you know, like Lane Kiffin did the other day. It's like, we have two five-star prospects on our team and 
Georgia has 25. Eventually, that's going to show up, which I think is the perfect segue to the final uh, portion of our <laughs> program here tonight, which is um, giving the audience our individual top seven teams most equipped to win the national championship. Now, Alex, I don't know how you put your list together. Yeah. I made the mistake of asking Chris Vanini this in the car ride home from the Texas TCU game last night. And he said, well, Alabama would probably be number two, but they have to play Georgia on the way. So that probably knocks them down on my list. I don't know if you considered any of that. All I did was look at the teams based on who they are and the most recent information that we have. Uh, I didn't think about who they had to play on the way or whatever. I just thought if they were in uh, in the national championship game or in the playoff, who do I think would be most equipped to win it? So if they played um, like a 45 game round Robin is kind of how I thought about it. Yes. Right. Because obviously Alabama has a, um, blockage in the way that might cause things to be a little bit harder for them to actually make it than other teams. That doesn't take away from how I view that team now. So why don't we start with you, Alex? You're the guest. Um, and we're going to probably dive into some, some highlights from the beginning of the show again, but Alex, what, do you have your list up in front of you? I do. I've pulled why it up. You on go my, ahead and read it. I don't need to read it on my me. phone here. Yeah. Uh, in order, you asked me to do this. I got Georgia one, then Oregon, Michigan, Alabama, Ohio State, Florida State, Texas. The one of those that I will admit makes me queasiest is Ohio State at five, because part of me thinks they should be up at like two, and part of me thinks they should be down at seven. Yes. Uh, I could that see. Sounds like car lists. <laughs> I, I could see. Yeah, I could see. I guess see it depends Ohio on how State you view the sports. It, it does. Um, I think that the reason I didn't drop them lower was because I have some Ari brain in me, honestly, about like, just the, the, the <laughs> extent enough, of good. their recruiting. Not enough. I probably should get more. Um, but I, I, look, I think if you go team by team, uh, Georgia is not missing anything, especially glaring. Now, I've mentioned their edge rushing situation isn't exactly what it's been, uh, but I'm not especially worried about their ability to prevent teams from scoring a lot of points. Uh, Oregon, I'm I'm really bullish on right now. I think that the result of the Washington game was what it was, but since that game, these guys have been, and even during most of that game, to be honest, if you, if a few fourth downs and two point conversions go a little differently, they have been really scary. Uh, their recruiting is not to typical national championship level, but I think they might have enough, especially with a 28 year old NFL quarterback, uh, Bo Nix leading the ship there. Uh, are you and I probably have a difference of opinion on Michigan, but I am still leaving open the possibility that JJ could be that guy uh, and mm-hmm. throw him to a victory. I have them ahead of Alabama because I'm less convinced that Jalen Milrow could if they, if Bama has to throw to win, which mm-hmm. they have not had to do because he has developed in other ways and their defense is what it is. Uh, Ohio state. I can't get past the lack of ability to assert themselves on the ground. Uh, it's, it's a big issue. Uh, Kyle McCord is maybe an issue as well. Uh, but the defense is great. Jim Knowles has done a great job. They've recruited really well. And they have the best receiver in college football since maybe Larry Fitzgerald, maybe Michael Crabtree. Uh, pick your guy. Uh, he is that good. Uh, Florida State, I think, has no gl- no no reason that Florida State couldn't win the national championship whatsoever. I just tend to be a little skeptical of teams that are getting there for the first time. I think you find that it is a different length of, length of season, level of play um, to try to break through. And, and we've seen different teams hit that wall in different ways over the years. Uh, and Texas, I might've jumped up one more, if not for the Jonathan Brooks torn ACL. Uh, but their inability to finish drives is really concerning. 
And I think that they have scored a lot of their touchdowns because Jonathan Brooks is a home run hitter who just decides mm-hmm. once or twice a game. Yeah, I'll take that about 70 to 80 yards. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but he does this a lot. Uh, I think you mix in a bit of a lack of clarity on Quinn Ewer's health. The fact that Malik Murphy, the backup, doesn't really look ready for prime, prime time. And I'd probably put Texas at the bottom of this list of seven, but still on the list of seven. Dave, do you want to go next or should I go next? I will go. My number one is Georgia. I looked up their pressure rate stats on Pro Football Focus. All right, what do you think Georgia ranks in terms of protecting Carson Beck? Uh, Mid-30s. Well, when I watch Georgia, especially in some of their premier games, I watch them and I'm like, does he ever have anybody in his face? All right, they're number two in pressure rate. I was correct (laughs) in that Carson Beck... I mean, this man has the cleanest pockets in America. It's unbelievable. Um, And that's powerful because he has a lot of weapons around him. But when I've said this on the pod, and I I believe this, if you have a quarterback who, when he has an open receiver and a clean pocket, and he can deliver that ball where it needs to be 90% of the time, you are so far ahead of the game in this sport, it is crazy. And Georgia has that guy. Carson Beck does that consistently. So Georgia's my number one for a lot of reasons, but I think they have – obviously the offense and the defense to do a lot. And the offensive line, I think it's not getting talked about enough because that that's one of the big takeaways when I watch them is I'm like, it just looks so easy for Carson Beck. My number two is Alabama. I, the way they figured out how to use Jalen Milrow has won me over. Um, they are terrifying. They are terrifying um, with how they're using Jalen Milrow. And I think, as Alex what said... What a come up for Alabama for you, by the way. What a come up. It's true. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's true. But I think it's one thing just to ask him to become a passer to do any to 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 throw you you know into wins, but the way that they do it, where they're moving the pocket, and it's like when he when the play breaks down or they have him in a situation where he can either tuck it and run, or you have these linebackers that are put in impossible positions, like they're doing that a lot with him, and it is scary um, because he's confident. Uh, my number three is Michigan who I think just I think makes up for the lack of like impressive quarterback play and they just bully you on the lines. And when you bully people on the lines, that gives you a shot. My number 4 is Oregon, who is physical and then obviously I think has one of if not the best quarterback/decision maker. He's playing with so much confidence that that matters a lot um to me anyway. And Bo Nix is that dude. And then my number five is Texas. I don't fully believe in them yet, but at some point, Ari, you know, this is a dude's everywhere ethos that I'm sort of embracing in that Texas doesn't wow you, but you look at their roster and you watch them play. And like you said, I mean, Devondre Sweat, Jatavian Sanders, Xavier Worthy, you know, uh, the Jonathan Brooks thing is concerning, but like, I still like CJ Baxter. Like they got some dudes. And if they went on a run, it wouldn't be that shocking. Six is Florida State. A lot of red flags with them, but at the end of the day, they have a receiver who is not coverable. And seven, Ohio State. You need an impact player at quarterback. Ohio State does not have that. They do not have that. And Michigan is the only team on this list that I think could do it without that impact player at quarterback. Okay. And now the anger begins. (laughs) My number one, UCF. I'm kidding. 
obviously. Fair is fair. is Georgia. I, they I just did like, win by 42 points on Saturday. They did, by take. the way. Yeah, they, they, they certainly did. Um, man, Big 12 is going to be crazy this year. Okay, my number one is Georgia. Um, for all the reasons illustrated previously, I, I just think that there is a certain element to Georgia that when they are, I just always use this analogy, they are a snake and they might not get around you at the beginning of the game, but they just get tighter and tighter and tighter and they eventually squeeze your soul out of your chest and your pad pops off. I, I just don't know that there is a team in the country outside of Ohio State and Alabama that can hang with that team for four quarters on a field before it eventually happens. Um, number two, Alabama. I, I think that they are the most talented team in college football, uh, not because you know I see it on TV all the time, but because it's a fact. It's in the data. They have a lot of very good players at every position around uh, the field, and Jalen Milrow has gone from major liability to one of the most exciting players in football to watch in six weeks. And when that happens, I mean, this is what the number one running threat that Alabama has had in the Saban era at the quarterback position. Has anybody since Blake? By Sims, far. I, I don't far. even think it's close. Um, yeah. And that gives them a new wrinkle to play around with. And of course, their defense is very good. Uh, here's where we all kind of veer off. I think Ohio State is number three. And I think a lot of the things that people say um, about Ohio State are true. I worry about the quarterback position in big time games. I worry about the offensive line in a very big way. And I also, like Alex, I, I think that they should be asserting themselves better in the run game. Um, they were winning at a high level during the Urban Meyer era because they were a run first team in the spread option. And uh, they won games on the ground because they were bigger, stronger, and faster than their opponents. And that doesn't always um, seem to be playing out so far this year. And I don't know how much stock we can put into the Michigan State game because they are, for a lack of a better term, booty cheeks. Um, number four is where we kind of get weird is Texas. Um, and oh, before I go to Texas, the top three teams um, will always be the top three, regardless of what they look like because there is an element to the sport that is irrefutable, and is that when these teams are fortunate enough to play in a dome in January in a playoff atmosphere, um, there is a second gear that they can physically reach when they are playing well that teams that don't have these players can't. And I think that last year's Ohio State-Georgia game was a perfect illustration of that notion. Um, number four is Texas, and the reason why is because um, I think that they are a very dangerous team. Obviously, Watching them almost lose to TCU on Saturday after dominating them for two and a half quarters is mildly concerning. And let me tell you guys, the Jonathan Brooks injury uh, scares the hell out of me with them because he, I, I, I think he is one of the top five best running backs in college football and losing him for the year is a huge yeah. detriment. But the reason why Texas is number four on my list is because there's a five-star freshman on the team that's very good right behind him. And teams like this are able to um, at least weather the storm with big time injuries that teams behind them can't. And that's a big part of this too. It's when you get to January and your roster is beaten up and your your left guard goes down in the second quarter. Do you have a first round draft pick behind them that's going to come in and make plays? And I think that Texas, um, if they are fortunate enough to get through the Big 12, which I think still is uh, a thought or a sight that still remains to be seen, if they have a month to prepare for a big time team that they are physically equipped from a roster standpoint to hang into a game and potentially um, scare some people. I think they're dangerous. I, I don't know if they if we can 100% trust them, but I think they're dangerous. Um, number five is Oregon. I think that they are um, the best team in the country as it pertains to trusting both sides of the ball 100%. Like I unequivocally trust Oregon's defense um, more than anybody else on the West Coast. I think they get stops and you know, they've played some of the best offenses that you'll see in college football. And I've I think perform pretty well. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, their offense is what it is. I like 
Troy Franklin. I like Bo Nix. I like Bucky Irving. Everything they have, um, I think that they are a dangerous team and um, is the reason why they are this high up on the list. Now, things are going to get a little bit weird. I'm an Ohio State homer. I get it. But Michigan's number six. I think they're a very good football team. Um, But the reason they are number six on my list is illustrated by the Michigan fan that called in. He said this team is not built to score 40 points. I think you have to be score or built to score 40 points in a playoff game to win. Uh, defense does not win championships anymore in college football. Um, it's the team that can take punches from an opponent that has four first-round picks at the skill position players against them and, and go toe-to-toe with them because even when you have a good defense, you are playing against teams that cannot be stopped, and they will score 35 to 40 points against you. Um, and I worry about J.J. McCarthy in that environment, and I worry about their offense's ability to do so. Even though they have illustrated the ability to beat Ohio State, I don't know if this team is physically equipped from a talent standpoint and an offensive standpoint to beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten Championship, beat Alabama, and beat a team like Georgia in the four games in a row. And, you know, maybe I'll be wrong, and maybe they should be higher on the list, but that's my my thought process. And lastly is Florida State. Um, Florida State, to me, I think is the best guinea pig in college football this year in terms of how much does the transfer portal actually impact your ability to perform at peak level? Um, they are somewhere, I think, in the mid-20s in the 247 sport composite. I think the lowest team to ever win a national championship um, in the 247 sport composite was 18 Clemson. I think they were somewhere in like the 12 to 11 range. It might even been a little bit higher than that. They are just too far down on the list. But Jared Verse, Jordan Travis, Keon Coleman, um, Johnny Wilson, and one other person that I'm forgetting right now off the top of my head are not illustrated in that Trey Benson, right. Um, is not, uh, illustrated in that. So this is a data experiment to me. Like if Florida state goes out and wins a national championship, I think that we can retire the composite ranking. I I think that that it might not be a reliable resource. I just am still of the mind that we haven't gotten too far into the portal yet where the, the four or five years previous to now, no longer account for the crux and spirit of the talent on your roster. So until a team that doesn't recruit nine to 12 uh, top 100 players in a single recruiting class four years in a row doesn't win the national championship, I'm not going to sit here in November and tell you that that's not going to happen. So similar lists, but different. Uh, did I offend anybody or are we all not a lot of Washington on these lists? Not a lot of Washington. Washington, Should any of us have have any belief in Washington? Uh, I want to, and I, I would love nothing more than to be incorrect that they are a rich man's USC, but I'm worried uh, about what's going to happen to them as soon as Saturday night, but mm-hmm. especially in an Oregon rematch. Uh, yes. Could very well be wrong. I mean, Michael Penix is awesome. Uh, he has a very compelling Heisman case. The receivers are the receivers, uh, but they've got issues. And I, I, I mean, it's been a wonderful breakthrough season for them, but I think it seems like we're all in accord that I don't think there is national championship upside because of the defense and some trench issues probably on Mm -hmm. the offense too. Mm -hmm. And it'll be fun. It's been doing some weird stuff. And I'm really excited to 28 points and a half to Utah. I punted on, and I don't know if this is fair. You guys tell me, because there are going to be Washington fans who listen to this and are upset. I punted in the USC game. When you, if you are a team that gets into a game, and I know in my heart that you're not going to get a stop when the other team has the ball, I have a very hard time buying back into you. And maybe mm-hmm. that maybe that is the brilliance of Caleb Williams. You know, USC when they are clicking on all cylinders offensively is a very scary proposition for just about anybody in college football. But I just my Washington hype in my head and in my heart went away. So again, they will have ample opportunity starting with Saturday in order to prove us wrong. 
And it will be a very interesting year uh, in the sense of Group A versus Group B. And and maybe I'll extend an olive branch to you before I say goodbye. This is the first year since 2015, probably, that I could sit here in mid-November and look you guys in the eye and say, I think there's a 15 or 20% chance that Group B wins. Every previous year before this, it would have been zero. But I am a student of the portal and the data, and I am willing to accept that it is, unlike any other year, more likely for a team that doesn't recruit like Bama to win the national championship. Is that a fair way to go? I was with I you last so. year, Ari. I would have been with you on the 100 on the hundred uh, percent Group A bandwagon last year. I think I wrote a column to that effect. It was 100% like every year since, since like 2012. There are only three teams in the history of, of college football that have won a national championship without having signed a top five recruiting class in any of the previous four years. Um, Auburn with Cam Newton and the two Clemson teams with Deshaun Watson and uh, Trevor Lawrence. All three of those teams signed top 10 classes in the previous four years and were led by some of the best players to ever play quarterback position at the college level. Wait, so, didn't TCU beat Georgia last year? Uh, ask half our staff. I think they think they did. So um, <laughs> anyway, Alex, I can't thank you so much. I think we kept you a little bit longer than we promised. Please forgive us. But uh, really, With really you guys, appreciate it. It's a blast. Yeah. Anytime. Okay. It's a pleasure. Uh, you're very insightful. I love the way your mind works. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate your presence here tonight. Thank hey, you. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you to the commenters, uh, the commenters, even the one who said that I'm, I'm woke. And that's good to know. Hope you subscribe. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's just a great pleasure to talk talk with you guys you know ball and you're fun guys dave we're gonna i actually hate the way alex's mind works so yeah that's good all right. that's what we gotta yeah. we gotta keep the banter on the podcast going so you're you know that you're smart i don't think i'm smart like you're like just like legitimately smart so <laughs> i've got to work through some stuff but you know hey we all have issues that we got to go through so i'm smart right. enough to order food at cracker barrel already we are gonna dive a, into all sorts of things this week on the podcast dave ubbins <laughs> cracker barrel to go carry out have you ever gotten Cracker Barrel to go, Alex? I have not. I'm not sure I've had to go. I've gotten it, but I don't think about to go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a yeah. bizarre world that he lives in, and we're going to explore that more this week. Um, thank you guys so much for listening to the latest edition of Until Saturday, Sunday Sound Off Edition. Um, you have to be sure to check out Split Zone Duo with Alex, Richard Johnson, and Stephen Godfrey on Patreon, Apple, and YouTube. Substack it's now, a, actually. Yeah. Substack. Yeah. Substack. We've made, a, right. we've made a recent movie. Like, yes. Uh, um, SplitZoneDuo.com. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry for uh, messing that up, but that's a, oh, one no, of the best very new. Yeah. college football podcasts out there. And if you love college football podcasts and you haven't come around to the show, be sure to, to listen to it. It's a weekly listen for me. I know Dave listens to it, too. And it's uh, smart football talk. Um, and, you know, people are just smarter than me. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. You got to go check it out. Be sure you're following our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so that you'll be notified when new episodes go up. We appreciate any five-star review, rating, or interaction that you'll do with any of our feeds. Um, and hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel to join us live every Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, and now Tuesday for the live streams. Subscribe to the Until Saturday newsletter, which can be found in the show's description. We will see you guys later. Thanks so much for watching. And bring back the channel.